All right. Wow, you got me pumped up here. And you take a breath. <laughs> so let's take a breath. <sighs> Actually, today's scripture is about taking a breath. Last week, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. It was a scripture that challenged us and called us to take a stand for our neighbors. The story was in response to Jesus. Hello! Hello! God calling! <laughs> all right, the scripture is in response. God calls in all kinds of ways. Hello! <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Let's take another breath. <sighs> all right. <laughs> Amen. The scripture from last Sunday and this Sunday are actually very, very connected because they are in response to a conversation that Jesus has had with a lawyer. The lawyer is trying to pin Jesus down on the bare essentials for eternal life. And Jesus actually turns that question on the lawyer and says, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer responds, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus basically says, you've got it. Do this, and you will have eternal life. That whole conversation can be easily summarized. To really live, our call is to love our neighbor and love God. It's that simple. If your faith ever seems overwhelming, if you find yourself getting sidetracked by theological issues, if you find yourself getting worked up over church stuff, just get back to this very clear conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. Love God, love neighbor. That's eternal life. It begins now. It begins now. And then Jesus further helps us understand that conversation by telling two stories. Last week's story was the story of the Good Samaritan. That's the love neighbor part. Today's story is the story of Mary and Martha. And that's the love God part. In this story, we see that it's very easy for us to get distracted. And distraction is a common theme in both stories. In the Good Samaritan story, some religious professionals had gotten distracted by their duties, that they missed their real duty, which was to love their neighbor. In today's story, we see another distraction that can get us off those main points of loving God and loving neighbor. In this story today, Martha is getting all caught up in trying to be impressive, in trying to be perfect, in trying to make sure that she's checked her Blackberry, both her cell phones, her home phone, and both of her email accounts, <laughs> thinking that's going to please somebody. She's trying to be perfect. And in doing so, she's missed the love God part. It's very easy for that to happen. We can look around our church and see that there's so many things that need to be done. I mean, this morning when I was coming in and I saw that we'd had some rain, there were a bunch of branches that were kind of in the place where cars were going to be parking. And I thought, well, what's the first time person going to think when they come in and they see that we've not even swept our parking lot? And I found myself thinking, well, maybe I can do it real quick before service. And it's like, if I do that, I'm going to miss the main thing, which is having my heart prepared to talk to the hungry people who have come to worship and receive and 
experience and attend, attending to what matters. It's so easy for us to then see all that needs to be done and sign up for multiple committees. We're doing this, we're doing that. I know some folks who are here every night because I see you here every night. And you're attending to what needs to be done. And yet it's so easy in all the attending to what needs to be done to miss out on what really matters. That loving God part. Loving neighbor, loving God. It's keeping that in balance. If we're just loving neighbor, even doing good things, it's easy for us to become resentful and bitter and miss the point. It's easy to be here every night, signing up for every committee, singing in both choirs, singing in ensembles, doing all this stuff, and then come to church and look around and say, well, where's everybody during the week? They're here on Sundays, and we're here to love each other, but the person working so hard can sometimes look at the person sitting next to them in the pew who's not showing up to do all these things and begin to be resentful. And that undercuts this relationship. What really matters? It's a wonderful scripture. There's a great take on this scripture from the message, and I've asked Gloria to help us hear this scripture in a different way. Jesus entered a village. A woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat before Jesus, hanging on every word he said. Yet Martha was pulled away by all she had to do in the kitchen. Later, she stepped in, interrupting them. Jesus, don't you care that my sister has abandoned the kitchen to me? Tell her to lend me a hand. Jesus said, Martha, dear Martha, you're fussing far too much and getting yourself worked up over nothing. One thing only is essential and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. Martha's in the kitchen doing all this work, and she's seething. She's getting resentful because she's doing all the work, and Mary and Jesus are in there sitting on the floor. Now, we might look at this scripture and on the surface feel that Jesus is not doing a very good job of team building here. I mean, wouldn't it have been easy for Jesus to say, Oh, Martha, we are so sorry. Yes, tell you what. Why don't we all go in the kitchen and all help and we can all talk and get the job done. But Jesus doesn't do that because even that would miss the point. What Jesus is saying is it doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. It doesn't always have to be on time. You're in there futzing and fretting over the veggies and the dessert and the main course, making sure everything's perfect and proper when the main course is right here in this room. This is where the real food is. Come and join Martha and I at the real table of real relationship. Now, there's one nuance I really love in the translation we just heard from the message, and that is it uses that phrase, the main course. In the New Revised Standard Version, which is what you have in your worship folder today, the phrase that used is the better part. But what I like about this from the message is that it makes it clear that, yes, we do need the other pieces. We need the veggies. We need the dessert. We need to work. We need to party. 
But we also need that main course that really satisfies us. That translation kind of puts it into this whole perspective of true and deep soul-feeding priorities. And those of us who are overworked, exhausted, wired up and connected, we need that place. That place that calls us to attend to our soul so our soul can then have the strength to attend to our neighbor. Oh, we see ourselves in this scripture. And uh, maybe you sometimes need someone to say to you, Martha, Martha, Martha. (laughs) Martha, dear Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. We understand Martha's predicament. Today's Martha could be working at a computer checking her Blackberry, or talking on her cell phone while driving and eating lunch. She could be on a treadmill while making appointments for the next day. She could be receiving chemotherapy on her lunch hour and trying like crazy to save her job. She could be overscheduled, overbooked, and overwhelmed. The pace could make her snap. Martha, dear Martha, We know you well. Distractions and worries abound. Jesus calls us to stop. Stop. Stop what we are doing and listen. There is need of only one thing. The good news is for you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, gay or straight, old or young, red or blue, This is good news for you. You. There is need of only one thing. For those of us caught in a never-ending swirl of priority setting with too much to do and too little time, drowning in commitment fatigue, swamped with busyness overload, Jesus offers the way. Gospel trumps busy. Gospel trumps worry. Gospel trumps distractions. Always. Martha, dear Martha, there is relief. Isn't that the gospel today? There is relief. See what I mean when I say this scripture tells us just to stop and breathe? Let's do it. And when you see Jesus putting his arm around Martha, insert your own name. Gloria, dear Gloria, breathe. (laughs) Breathe. It's okay. Relief. Our breath reminds us that we are called not only to be a good Samaritan congregation, but a congregation about health and wholeness and well-being and rest, attending, attending to our hearts, attending to our relationship with God. Oh, do that, and it's amazing how we'll get a brand new attitude. We'll have the energy to really care for others without getting resentful or burnt out. We'll have a new attitude about God, about ourselves. 
In fact, this all made me kind of wonder. If Jesus were Patti LaBelle, or Patti LaBelle were Jesus, <laughs> would this scripture maybe go something like this? You're feeling good from your head to your shoes. Know what you're doing and you know what to do. Cause tidied up your point of view. You got a new attitude. Everybody dance now. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> oh, I just scared Stephen. He's, he's like, Stephen, stand up for just a moment because the look on your face is priceless. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I know I'm going to die when I hear the podcast, but hey. <laughs> we can take that breath. We can get real. And that's attending. It's the God attitude, the heart attitude, attending. Oh, I look around and I see lots of Marys and Marthas. And usually with the adults. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Mary, Martha, 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 we're all here. <laughs> but one of the things I've noticed is that as adults, we tend to become Martha, more Martha-like. Uh, we, we tend to have our to-do list. We, we tend to get so crazy. We tend to get so caught up on everything. And yet children tend to be more like Mary. They stop and play. And playing can become praying. And sometimes we need children to be our preachers, our teachers. Sometimes a little child will lead us. And I came across a wonderful, wonderful story where we see a mother who's very much like Martha. And we see a little four-year-old boy named TJ who reminds me very much of Mary. Have you seen TJ? Yes, he's over there. TJ! <laughs> TJ, honey, come over here. Come on, let's go. I got to get this food over to the church. The homeless people haven't eaten all day. Come on. I got the lasagna in one hand and the baby in the other. Let's go this way to the car. TJ, get off that computer now. Now. That's TJ. My son, my five-year-old son going on 20. Do you have any kids like that? You know what I'm talking about then, don't you? Uh-huh. Well, because of that, I'm always rushing, always late, and he's always asking me questions. On our drive over to the church, he asks me every question under the sun. What are homeless people? What do they look like? Oh, we're going to take them dinner? Why are we taking them dinner? Will they talk to me? <laughs> and oh, yes, the most important question, do they like choo-choo trains? Hmm. He's crazy about trains. Well, I can't remember all of my answers. I'm sure that I said something psychologically and politically correct. You know, like out of one of those child-rearing guru books. Well, whatever I said, I'm sure it didn't impress a preschooler, if you know what I mean. Well, we finally arrived at the church, and thank God we arrived there before everybody else did. So we uh, really ended up waiting on them, you know, which was fine, but TJ got just a little bit antsy, you know, and he started running around, and he hollered, when are the homeless people going to get here? 
And I said, would you quit asking so many questions? And he said, why? (laughs) And I answered with something profoundly parental like, because I said so. (laughs) Well, TJ got bored. And while he was bored, I got worried about my lasagna. I did. Was it hot enough? Did I make enough? You know, sometimes I can make lasagna and it's kind of soupy, you know, so I'm over there. Is it soupy? Is it too rich for these people's stomachs? Should I have made something more bland? So I was really worried. In the midst of all this worry, this big old bus pulled up and a bunch of people got off and walked right into the activities building. And all of a sudden, TJ became shy, which is not like him, right? And ran and hid behind me. And then I started to feel uncomfortable too, because after all, these you know, people didn't look so great, you know? But I, I really, I really wanted to say all the right things. I did. But what do you say to street people? To homeless people that live such a different life like that. And then I stopped and said, what was wrong with me? I acted like I was talking to people who didn't understand English. Truth of the matter was, I was ashamed of myself. Growing up, I was no stranger to poverty. I used to work at a grocery store and sneak toiletries, dippity-doo, into a woman's grocery bag because I knew that her food stamps wouldn't cover it. Was I becoming so uppity that I couldn't communicate with people who were down on their luck? Come on. Good grief. So basically, I shut up outside of some stupid carny jokes as I was serving, you know, the dinner. Well, I served the dinner. I served seconds and I served thirds. These people were hungry. My uh, self-centered concerns about the meal was a waste of time because they just wanted some decent food and plenty of it. Thank God we had enough. And as I watched them fill their stomachs, my heart became filled. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back, I now see we didn't have enough food that day. We should have had enough food for our guests and the servers too. And we could have all been at the table, eating together, breaking bread together. That was the ticket. But we missed it. However, the real lesson came when TJ and I were leaving the church and one of the guests, an older man, started walking alongside of us. And TJ finally piped up and said, what's your name? The man said, Glenn, what's yours? TJ. And then TJ paused and said, do you like trains? (laughs) And Glenn smiled and said, yep. I used to be a conductor. 
and TJ's eyes got this big. And they talked about trains and exchanged more smiles and waved goodbye. And on the way home, I asked TJ, how did you do it, baby? How did you cut through all that stuff? What made you think that a tired, hungry, not-so-sweet-smelling homeless person might be a train lover, too? And TJ said, because I'm good at asking questions. (laughs) Was it as easy as asking the man his name? Next time, I'll find out. Yet, next time I won't have to ask. Because my son will remember. His name is Glenn. And God is calling our name today. The God who remembers, who simply invites us to remember as well and to attend to what really matters. A busy mother, TJ, Martha, Mary, insert your own name and know that God is attending to your heart today. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for calling us back to what really matters, to what's important calling us to feast at the table where real food is served, the table where real relationships happen. Remind us again that you have a heart that is wide enough and deep enough and loving enough and true enough to encompass all of us and to attend to all of us. And we don't have to be afraid anymore of people who are different from us or afraid of you or afraid of not getting it all done. We don't have to be afraid of being perfect. We can just be who you've called us to be. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amen.